using more than one telescope with Alistair Ling on episode 350 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and Joining Machine. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. Before we get going with Alistair Shane, we have a couple uh, Patreon supporters to thank. We do. Our newest ones are Gary and Matthew. So thank you very much for signing up. We really appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate all of our Patreon supporters. So thank you to everybody who uh, sends us a little something every month. And uh, also Robert, I guess, Robert. Is, our, is one of the newest ones too. So we have three new ones. So uh, thank, ones. thank you to all three of you. Thank you so much. You keep the show going. And then we uh, can make sure that we keep our astronomy going. So very important. All right. Quick, quick note, just want to put this in. I don't know if this will even get out in time, but I'm going to be giving a binocular clinic, binocular tour type thing at the Saskatchewan Summer Star Party on August 19th, in case anybody is interested. Or if they're not, then they can make sure they avoid it. Fair warning. Fair warning. <laughs> Fair warning. All right, we'll get going with Alistair. Alistair Lane has been observing since 1975, is a monthly contributor to the U.S., magazine astronomy and enjoys helping folks overcome starting hurdles he is in the middle of working through the club's storage locker which suffered smoke damage from a nearby fire and that's where they keep many loner telescopes and now he has to clean and restore them back to working order and also as he's been going through it he's found a few gems that he wishes that he could keep for himself. So uh, during our podcast on acquiring an IP set, the thought came to him, we should have an episode about telescope sets. So thanks, Alistair. Uh, always great to have you on the show. And thanks for uh, setting this up for us. Oh, glad to be here. It, it's uh, it been really interesting seeing all these telescopes. And after having observed for so many years, you'd think uh, I'd be over uh, the, the uh, enthusiasm of, oh, yeah, here's a new scope. I'm just like, hey, this is, you know, why is this being sitting relegated in the back corner? So, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun talking about these. And as, as part of this, do I have this right? You're going to give away a telescope to one of our Patreon supporters? Uh, a, a telescope of sorts, yes. By definition, it is. It's it's a, a, a mini scope. Uh, yeah. The the um, well, well, do you want me to talk about this now, or will we cover it later as to how the thing actually works? Yeah, we can do it later. Bit of a bit of a teaser. Keep people listening. People yeah. should, and while people listen, maybe they can sign up as a Patreon supporter. That'd be awesome. All right. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about the uh, smoke damage, and uh, what are some of the gems that you've uncovered under the uh, grime? Yeah. Well, the the uh, uh, well, t sadly, two things happened. Um, one is that uh, a dear observing friend, Mike Noble, uh, passed away, and so he had. Uh, well, a lifetime of astronomy gear that his family goes, uh, we don't know anything about astronomy, take it. Uh, to, and, and so donate it to our uh, astronomy organization, uh, the center, Edmonton Center of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. Always a, a big mouthful of words there. But uh, 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 and, and so I've been going through some of the stuff in his garage. But uh, then uh, it's like weeks later, we uh, we find out that the, we have a, a, the storage locker at one of these uh, self storage, you know, where there's 
dozens to hundreds of uh, storage lockers for people to put stuff in. Well, our club has amassed a, a fair bit of gear uh, that we loan out or that uh, we uh, we take uh, to uh, star parties where we have pylons and lights and tables and that kind of thing. And so, unfortunately, this storage locker caught fire. Uh, but we were really lucky in that uh, our particular corner uh, was uh, at the opposite end of the building. So we only got smoke damage, but oh, oh if you've ever suffered fire damage, it's it's awful. The mm -hmm. stuff is everywhere. And and um, so we had to, um, we, we got a bunch of our uh, volunteers from our club and uh, got on a, a whole bunch of uh, uh, gloves, uh, which we had to go through several pairs of the, those um, uh, uh, nitrile gloves and, and stuff because it got just so dusty. And so we got cleaned out uh, our locker to move it to other stuff. And then just like, hey, uh, what's this thing here? And it's just like they're, they're one of the ones that, that really caught me was uh, a... Uh, it, it was it was a guitar case, one of those uh, firm but soft uh, guitar cases. Just like, what's this doing here? So unzip it, and it's just like, holy smokes! There's a seven-inch Maxitov in here, 180 millimeter uh, Orion uh, Maxitov. Just like, what? You know, how did this get here? <laughs> uh, and uh, so that that was uh, you know a real uh, uh, beauty, but of course uh, hadn't been used. And actually, I don't know um, how it got donated. Perhaps. Uh, uh, you know, someone moved on uh, um, or unfortunately passed away and, and, and it was donated. And so that, that was one of them. Uh, another uh, uh, beauty in there was a, um, uh, a 66 millimeter Williams Optics um, ED doublet. And uh, it, it had uh, uh, some uh, duct tape. Uh, holding the, uh, the the focuser on, and just like okay, well, you know, I'll dismantle it and and clean it up and and see what happens. So that um, and um, all, all it really required was uh, 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 touching up uh, the uh, all, all of the various uh, the tension on the the focusing because otherwise it was just slipping around and just like oh no, just need to uh, download the uh, manual and and. Uh, adjust stuff and all of a sudden it's just like here's this fantastic little telescope that's so, a, is that sorry alistair is that a petzville design i can't remember actually okay. yeah uh, yeah for some reason that's sticking out of my memory but I, I i'm not sure if that's true or not i remember william optic had a a small refractor in that 60 millimeter ish zone that was a, a little petzville and uh i I think I looked through one once and it was a pretty solid performer. It was a, a really nice uh, telescope, but anyway, sorry for the uh, oh, distraction no. there. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and so among the, the things that had been happening was um, I, I was uh, selling uh, Mike's gear on, on behalf of the, the club and just like, well, we've got some money. And before it goes, before it goes into the club, I'll, I'll uh, intercept it and uh, buy a filter slider. Cause of course, Chris uh, has been talking about these wide field objects and being able to very quickly switch from one filter to another. So I said, well, let's, let's, uh, you know, put some of uh, that, um, 
that, that money to, to sort of good use and create something that we don't have. And so you know, sitting in my garage right now, waiting for uh, a, a nice uh, dark um, night coming up in a couple of weeks and, and I'll, I'll be uh, uh, using this uh, filter slider and, and looking at uh, stuff in the Milky Way. So I'm really looking forward to that. So it's a wonderful um, new edition. Uh, one of the other ones tucked away in, in the corner of um, the, uh, the of, of Mike's garage. Uh, it's just, it was a case. And it's just like, oh, we didn't look in that case. And then it's like, oh, it's a 110 millimeter, um, again, Williams Optics, FLT, you know, triple fluorite. I'm just like, Oh, this ought to be good. And it turns out uh, Berta, uh, who did uh, the podcast episode on sketching, um, uh, she ended up buying it. Uh, and, and so, but I, I cleaned it up because it had uh, dust on it and, and whatnot and water droplets and so on, but cleaned it up and, and we tested it. And it's just like, oh my, this is really, really nice. Um, but, you know, pumping, you know, here we are on, on this. Uh, well, it's a, a, a four and a half inch, 110 millimeter. And uh, it was just like, oh, um, you know, six millimeter eyepiece. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really nice. And hey, let's do something stupid. Uh, you've got a three times Barlow. Uh, let's drop a nine millimeter for you know three millimeter equivalent eyepiece. And, and up at, I can't remember what it was, 350 times or something like that. You know, way beyond what you would, Normally you push anything and we had it on caster and you could drive a truck between the two components. <laughs> it's just like, oh. oh, wow, this is really, really nice optics. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, uh, again, just like, whoa, you know. <laughs> Actually, I kind of wish wish I, I had this myself. I'd have to get a nice mount for it, though. Um, I, uh, being a Dobsonian as my as my main scope, uh, um, the uh, I, I don't have something to hold uh, a nice refractor. But um, but speaking of uh, Dobsonians and all that, um, yeah, let, let's uh, uh, jump over to uh, uh, our our main topic here. Yeah, sounds good, Alistair. So maybe just to kick it off, um, why why should somebody possibly uh, own more than one telescope? Well, the short answer is so you can observe more often. Uh, I find the more one observes, the better one feels. Like e even if I don't go out for a, a whole session, uh, every now and then it's nice to just walk out the back door, look up, sit down sometimes, and, and just. Uh, sit there it's a, a different form of uh, meditation uh, and, but I find it just you get that <sighs> and you yeah. can feel the stress just leave and and uh, I, I found that yeah when you concentrate on uh, observing on finding an object studying it uh, you free your brain from all these sort of stressful events uh, and uh, all those negative thoughts and you just immerse yourself in this ethereal wonderful beauty out there and, and so just like yeah observing makes you feel good so uh, things uh, as well just like going to see a mercury apparition um every now and then you guys talk about you know how much of a challenge mercury is to see in the telescope and you're like oh um yeah i know it's a real challenge so i just bring my binoculars mm -hmm. um and so 
the the once once you're hooked on astronomy and you've been in it for two or three years, you sort of realize that well, one size doesn't uh, fit all, um, and just uh, one scope, even a really nice high quality one, is, is limiting. So, for example, um, you know, Chris, uh, you know, talking about his uh, Takahashi's. Well, you just can't see the spiral arms of the whirlpool in the hundred millimeter tuck. Um, and for me, uh, you know, I can't take a 10 inch daub on a backcountry overnight hiking trip. Mm. It's like, I'm not carrying that <laughs> on my back. Um, for others, uh, it ends up being, oh, well, I've got this, uh, you know, wonderful uh, 10 inch uh, Schmidt cast, but I have to pull it up from the basement and taking it downstairs at 2 a.m. Oh, boy, that, that's wearing thin. Or or maybe, uh, you know, the, hey, the crescent moon's occulting Venus, but it's behind the trees from my 32-inch observatory. So there's always these interesting events that, oh, my my main scope just, I, I, I can't. Uh, uh, use it, and so the the, uh, the and the other side of uh, of the coin, a one size fits all solution is sometimes a compromise. Uh, it it uh, it often does several things fairly well, but you know just isn't sharp, and uh, and so it's like yeah yeah. Um, and you know, every now and then I hear uh, on on the podcast like you had uh, Jerry Oldin uh, a couple of weeks ago and Mel Bartels a couple of months ago, and you hear about them talk about one of their scopes and go, oh, mm-hmm. oh that would be really cool to have, um, and 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 so it's just like yeah yeah it's um, the 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 more you have, um, the, uh, the the more you observe. And and as as another example, one of the um, uh, things that turned out it, it wasn't um, a smoke damage because one of our members had it out on loan, but it was a seventy millimeter Lunt uh, H Alpha solar telescope. And so while uh, yeah, while Berta was uh, away on holiday, she said, "Do you want to use it?" It's like, hey, of course. So, uh, you know, a little mini mount sitting in the kitchen with this thing on it. And it's literally two minutes and I'm observing the sun to take it outside, plop it on the grass. Um, you know, polar alignment can be off by 10 degrees. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's close enough. And boom, there's the sun in H alpha. And even with all the, the wildfire smoke, it's like, oh, as long as it's not super dense smoke, it's like it, it's like oh, it's perfectly fine. I'm seeing this amazing detail, and and every now and then I'd have it out uh, sort of three times a day because oh, let's see where what happens to that prominence over there. Uh, so having that uh, flexibility is is really nice, and it's just you know all of a sudden I'm observing you know three four times a day, and uh, and that's just wonderful. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Alistair, you've been observing for more than 40 years. Um, how many scopes do you own? Th- this might surprise some people. Only four. <laughs> of course, <laughs> some of the newer listeners, only four? Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Wait for it. There, there's uh, people who have a lot more than that. Um, so, so mine are a pair of binoculars, and there's just so many. Uh, different events that binoculars are great for. Uh, for me, uh, total lunar eclipse and uh, total solar eclipses. Those are the 
the marquee events for binoculars. Just your, well, and of course, Shane, you would know two eyes. Uh, the the binoculars just let you see uh, wonderful. It's it's uh, especially around the moon. Uh, it's you you get the uh, the the perspective the the framing of the object and and the two eyes. It just gives it that three uh, D feel that oh I don't see as much detail as I would in a scope, but hey, um, they're they're just fantastic for that. So. Binoculars, then uh, a 70 mil, 76 millimeter mini daub for outreach. So the, the, those are those uh, Celestron first scope, mm. tiny Newtonians. Um, and, and so I uh, keep one of those and I bring them to outreach events to show parents, uh, hey, this is what $100 can get for you. You, you don't need to you know, suddenly drop uh, six or seven hundred dollars just oh, you know and um and it's easy for kids to use um and you know if you knock it over it's not really going to break and those mini scopes are uh, perfect for shoehorning into a family vacation trip where oh i've got a you know six inch dog and it's like nope not not fitting in the car <laughs> um so uh yeah the the the, the mini dog is just uh, uh wonderful for that Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of I our have. listeners, uh, Phil, uh, Phil from the UK, has a has some uh, notoriety on the podcast. Um, Missing he, Phil. Missing yeah, Phil. Yeah, haven't heard from him in a while. Um, he had one of those, and and he also used it to observe out his window from. So he would be kind of warm indoors. He'd mm-hmm. crank open the window, and because it was such a small form factor, he was able to just set it on the windowsill and then observe like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and 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 you know, th- this is getting into um, uh, a, a little bit uh, uh, later in the show. For but uh, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, one of uh, uh, my my good observing buddies uh, did that on purpose. Uh, he just uh, he's a variable star observer, and he set up indoors with just a, a I think it was was it a sixty millimeter Pronto from Teleview? Might have been seventy. I can't remember. Remember. but uh perfectly warm looking through a, you know triple pane window but variable stars he just needs the brightness relative to other stars so he doesn't mm-hmm. need sharp sharp things and it's just like boom minus 20 outside and i'm just you know nicely uh, you know on, on you know down on the floor uh, uh, nice and warm and just relaxed so yeah it's a uh, great little uh, thing to <laughs> you can observe through windows we don't recommend it but you, you can do that um and then i have uh, a four inch daub that i use for uh, outreach and for fitting in a, a multi-person road trip uh, type expedition there's usually enough room for for the four inch daub uh and that used to be on one of those awful german equatorials uh mm-hmm. Uh, and then my uh, big scope is a 12 and a half inch daub on an equatorial platform for uh, deep sky observing. And, and that one I actually made myself uh, years ago when I was a, a teenager. Uh, I was very lucky uh, to, uh, to sort of grow up uh, in Montreal where there happened to be telescope makers. And it's like, oh, don't worry, we'll walk you through it. And <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Long story short, suddenly I've I've got myself a, a twelve inch job. So, it, as you can well imagine, it's like that that um, 
doesn't, um, you know, if I'm, that doesn't go out all that often unless I'm very particular about, oh, I need this for deep sky or I'm, I'm looking at a, an asteroid flyby and I need the aperture to pull in the, um, the, the fainter objects from the backyard. But normally it's just like, no, I'll, I'll use my, uh, my, my smaller stuff. So uh, that, that's, that's, that's what I've got. But um, the, the, uh, in terms of the most number of telescopes, I don't think there's a natural record for it, but uh, David Levy, the comet hunter, um, he had 27 telescopes at one point. There, there was smokes. even one in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> just like, well, I, you know, you'll open the cabinet, uh, medicine cabinet, and just like there's a, a, a small uh, decorative telescope. You say, it still counts. <laughs> <laughs> I so love it. Shame. How crowded is your garage or hobby room? Uh, too crowded. Um, I think so. I, I just did a quick count and I think I'm at nine right now. Um, a couple of these are um, probably need to be for sale. One of them is a 25 millimeter Borg. So I'm not sure that really counts as a telescope, but you know, you can change the eyepieces. So uh, I'll say it's a telescope. Um, and then I, I have a, a couple of older ones that I'm hoping one of my nephews, you know, really gets interested in the hobby. And if so, uh, I'll gift them, uh, an older Takahashi from, from the seventies or, you know, one of these other telescopes that I just don't use very much, but yeah, right now it's nine. And I think if any more come into my collection, something has to go because it's, that's my limit. I think, in fact, I'm probably over my limit. <laughs> And yourself, Chris, you, you've talked a lot about, uh, it, I mean, it, it sounds like you have eight Takahashis, but uh, it, it's probably a, a, a little less. But at, at one point, as, as we're talking about the preliminaries of the show, when I mentioned this Maxitov, you go, oh, I've got a six-inch Maxitov. And it's just like, you've never mentioned that before. That I, So it's like, so how many scopes do you have? So I've got, I'm just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, I've got nine. Yeah, I've got nine. I'm just sort of making a little list here. So I guess my oldest scope that I bought new is a 80 millimeter Mangrez 2F7, but uh, it's sort of on permanent loan to another observer, actually a co-worker of Rakusiak's. I've got, what's the next oldest one? Uh, 150 millimeter uh, Santel Rumac uh, Mac Cassegrain. I've got the Borg 125SD F6. I've got the 60 millimeter Takahashi. I've got the 100 millimeter Takahashi DC. I've got the ST80. Well, it's like the Mead version of ST80 with a modified two inch focuser. I've got the Celestron Comet Catcher, which is probably my oldest telescope that I bought used that I modified for two inch eyepieces. And then I have a 12.5 inch reflector that needs a little bit of work. And, uh, yeah, is that everything? I think that's everything. What's that? Nine? Six. Nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many do you have, Shane? Did you have nine as well? 
I have nine as well. Yeah. Um, Mine are all refractors. Um, yeah. From 25 millimeters to 102 would be my biggest. Yeah. So these are, I got one, two, three, four, five. Oh, and the Borg 50 is in there too. Five, six refractors, the Maxudov Cassegrain, the Schmidt Newtonian and the reflector. So I just need a, a, a Schmidt Cassegrain. And then I've got, uh, and I don't know if I need like a Sheep Spiegler or something like that. But I, I've got the, I've got them all. I've got the full, uh, the full astronomy experience here. I actually uh, um, saw it at Stellafine, uh, the telescope making convention in Vermont, uh, one year, long time ago. Uh, somebody did um, a mini version of the multiple mirror telescope, so six primaries. And, and and at the time, they just had the sort of the mount. And uh, it was sort of, they were obviously very enthusiastic about it. Um, and it just had two um, uh, non-illuminized mirrors in it, so two of the six. And, you know, we sort of looked through, because even if there's no coating, it, it's still glass is reflective enough. It forms images. And, and, and we looked through and just like, yep, double image. And then realized six primaries, six secondaries, six tertiaries, just like, Oh, I don't think that's a practical telescope. <laughs> <laughs> Not grab and go anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought, you know, at one point, uh, as I was talking with uh, uh, Berta about, um, you know, she ended up with a 110 millimeter uh, uh, fluorite there. Um, and, and as she was thinking about getting something, I said, you know, it's like, hang on, you, you've been observing now for three years. She's got a wonderful uh, grab and go uh, four inch uh, acromat, uh, a little go to one arm uh, fork. Uh, yeah, images are colorful, uh, but it's grab and go. And she said, yeah, it's, you know, it's perfect for the backyard or for, oh, uh, taking up the street because uh, they've got a really nice Western horizon. So if I want to see the phases of Venus, I just, you know, pick up, walk out the door and it's, it's cooled down and, and away you go. Um, and, and then, and I said, well, you know, think about this, um, you know, before you sort of just jump up a little bit. Um, it's, Consider a forever scope and try avoid um, dishing out going, oh, I'll just get, you know, maybe, uh, you know, an extra 10 millimeter aperture or uh, maybe, a, you know, some other scope that'll, uh, you know, I've heard they're sort of okay. And it's just like, you know, uh, stand by, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, think about uh, what your um, situation is and consider getting a scope that's going to last you, you know, forever and make it a high-end scope. So even though you go, oh boy, that, that, that like, you know, something like this fluorite, it's just like, well, it's like, you know, $800 more than the, the non-fluorite one. And, and I told her, you know, think of it like an amortization, like a, a mortgage on a house. Um, the, the, you know, it, 
if you, um, you know, you might make excuses about, oh, well, the weather's not all that good. Do I really need the high-end one? But 20 years later, uh, you know, as has happened to me sometimes, it's like you realize that, you know, that really nice scope, well, that was that the extra cost for it would, would only be about $40 a year, which is in, in that perspective, it's like nothing. And, um, but the other uh, uh, hard um, side of the coin for the, getting a forever scope is uh, listening to folks who are, uh, as we call, uh, paralysis by analysis. And just like, well, I might get this. I might get oh, the, there's uh, you know that new uh, uh, version that just came out of it, and and they actually don't get a telescope for years. So there is actually something to be said for uh, getting a temporary scope and and knowing that hey, this will be good, but um, I'm going to keep an eye out for. Um, something that's uh, uh, much better. And um, I, I had a great phone call with uh, our fellow deep sky observer, uh, Mark Ricard um, in Quebec. And, and he reminded me that, you know, the forever scope, you know, Alistair is clear in your mind. You've been observing for decades. You know what you want. But for someone who's only been two, three, four years into stargazing, they often haven't experienced enough to really know what they want. So uh, usually in that case, it makes sense to buy a medium scope and reevaluate in a few years. And quite often, uh, as you know, on Astro Buy Sell, you can get sort of two thirds of an original purchase. And so that's kind of like leasing a car. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, this will do me fine for a while until I really um, get a good sense of um, what uh, what interests I have. Uh, Alistair. Mm -hmm. I have to hop in. Then we yep. have to. I have to, I have to sort of put a question to you. Then, what would be that good scope for somebody in that situation that doesn't have the experience? They don't have the experience to know what their what their forever scope is going to be, or the scope that's going to make them live their best life, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but what what would that good sort of medium scope be, or median scope be, for from your perspective? Yeah. And my, my first answer is, um, you know, join an astronomy club and see if they have any loner telescopes. <laughs> um, because that, that really lets you try before you buy. And so, uh, you, you might be able to, uh, um, get that, that thing of, ah, ah, you know, uh, like among our loner scope programs, we've got um, the Celestron 6 SE. So it's a one arm fork uh, with, uh, uh, I think it's Schmidt Castle, not a Mac, the six inch version. Um, and, and it turns out that's sort of very popular. A lot of people uh, really do appreciate the go-to side of things. And especially if you're spending a lot of time in the, in the backyard in suburbia, it's, uh, you know, red dot finders are only so useful for, uh, you know, I know where, say, um, you know, Messier 3, wonderful globular cluster, um, halfway between Arcturus and uh, Corcoroli uh, in uh, uh, Canis Venetici. And, and so it's just, I just, you know, point my scope halfway in between and look in the finder and, oh, yeah, there it is. 
But if you don't have a finder, if it's a red dot, it's just like I could be five, six degrees off and never see it. So having that go-to um, is, is really gets you up and running, especially if you're doing um, one of these explore the universe uh, type of programs, which I really uh, encourage uh, folks because it's a bit of deep sky, a bit of double stars. And, and some of those nice colored double stars, it's, you, you, like you had said, you know, it's like, you know, you know, gamma sextants. It's just like, where is that? And, you know, I, I, I can see Regulus. And, and, and so having that go-to can, can uh, really help. Another great scope in there is um, uh, the uh, six-inch uh, or eight-inch uh, Skywatcher Dobbs. Uh, very uh, reasonable entry price. And I just uh, cleaned out one of those uh, to get the, uh, the, the smoke uh, uh, soot off of it and uh, collimated it up and had it out and just whew, looking at the double-double uh, star. Man, you just like split them both in the same field of view. Yeah, you've got to push the scope a little bit, but just like whew, diffraction limited, beautiful a little scope, very easy to use and maneuvering. I, I'm shifting my body here. It's like pushing the imaginary daub around. Um, but uh, it's it's one of those things. If uh, if you've got um, if you're if you're in the suburbs, it, that can be a, a bit of a challenge uh, trying to find uh, things that are you know in the middle of nowhere. Ring Nebula is pretty easy. You know, there's Vega. You drop down. It's right in between the nice stars of the parallelogram. But then after that, you start going, oh, how do you jump to uh, you know that, that star cluster? And, and it's like, uh. but if you're out in the country, boom, that, that six-inch F8 is just a gorgeous uh, uh, piece. And um, I helped a, a friend uh, clean up. Uh, she, she bought uh, on the, the used market, uh, Kijiji uh, around here. Um, it was uh, for 200 bucks. It was an eight inch F6 Orion Dob. And uh, oh boy, did it ever need it. It was not a, a cleaning, it was an overhaul. Uh, it had been left in it, outdoors and things were rusty and all that, but cleaned up. And all of a sudden, it's like, I, you know, diffraction limited. I'm, I'm seeing the airy disc with the rings and everything. And just like, that's a, that's a great scope. All, a lot of these modern um, scopes that are only six, seven hundred dollars. It's the the, uh, the manufacturing process is way better than what it was fifty years ago, and so they're they're actually very good telescopes for for that price. And and it's getting that sense of um, uh, of flexibility uh, where uh, you you can try that out, and 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 you'll be able to sell it if it's if it's not quite uh, your cup of tea. So uh, th th those and and it's those both of those scopes have that a nice middle aperture uh, in there. So like a six inch um, uh, uh, SCT there, uh, you know. The, I think you know that might whet your appetite and go, well, uh, you know, four inch talk is going to be superior imaging to that. So, um, it, but you figure that out. It's just like this is the sort of thing I want to do. And, and then that takes time. It really does. Mm -hmm. You know, one other thing I think uh, I'll mention here too, just because we're getting into, you know, a lot of star party season is 
you don't need to own a telescope to go to a star party. And that can be a really good avenue to explore, to find out what kind of telescope you may want as your first purchase. Uh, in fact, one of my uh, old observing buddies, uh, that's what he did. He came to the Saskatchewan Summer Star Party, didn't own a telescope, didn't bring binoculars. His sole mission was to look through a whole bunch of different telescopes to see what he would like to buy as his kind of first telescope. And uh, just thought I'd mention that because I, I, there might be a belief out there that you need to own gear to go to a star party, but you really don't. You can just show up and most uh, most astronomers are more than happy to give views away at the eyepiece. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's a great way of uh, especially testing out eyepieces. Mm -hmm. That too. But yeah, the... the uh, being able to uh, uh, check things out and go, oh, I didn't realize you can see that kind of thing in here. And, and so, yeah, it just really does open up. Um, or, or it's also the, um, well, I, uh, you know, how, how is the, uh, the, you know, the quality of the optics on these things? And, and uh, yeah, really get that sense of, uh, you know, what would work and uh, the size of it. Because, yeah, we, we had someone at one of our uh, sort of swap tables and it was, they, uh, I don't know which mount it was, but it was a, a nice German equatorial uh, for for imaging. And and the person who was sort of wanting this thing all of a sudden sees it, you know, face to face, and just like, I am not going to be able to lift that thing more than once or twice. I <laughs> and and so it's just like, okay, that that really helped uh, eliminate uh, a, a possible uh, telescope from. Um, the, the the running. So, uh, you know, let, let's get into some of the, the the key reasons for owning multiple scopes. So, the main scope, and we're not here talking the biggest, although that's often the case. But it's the one, as, as Terry Dickinson used to say, it's the best telescope is the one you'll use most often, and it, it should reflect a kind of a sweet spot. Uh, what your interests are. Uh, your location, uh, maybe mobility issues. Uh, I, I have a friend who's got uh, some metal plates in their neck, so it's like they're they're not doing too much body contortions. As I'm leaning over and and doing half yoga poses to to point scope, it's like yeah, I'm not doing that. So. You know, this will change both as you gain experience and how your personal life evolves. Uh, you might be starting out uh, in an apartment. And for a little while, the uh, first time I moved away from home, here I have this 12 and a half inch scope. And it's like, stupid me, it was a, a two floor walk up. And I had to carry my scope you know, down to the car, uh, um, open up the, 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 you know, the fire doors to get through. And you just like, I need a grab and go telescope uh, for uh, for just doing those uh, uh, quick observing. Otherwise, it's the well. Uh, I'm waiting uh, for the next new moon. Oh, it's cloudy, and all of a sudden you haven't observed in four or five months, and just like this is not good. So that 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 main scope might be uh, your grab and go. 
uh, scope. So something to go camping with the family, or maybe there's uh, uh, an event going on behind trees or a building, uh, carry it to the playground down the street, onto the balcony, very fast cool down. Uh, maybe uh, you only have 45 minutes and you, you're, you're taking the scope out. And uh, those of us with the, the you know, eight or 10 inch scopes, uh, especially the, t the tens, it's like those, the thickness of the mirror, it takes a long time to cool down. And the stars are mushy as when the, the heat coming off of those uh, bigger uh, optics, uh, they, they really have, uh, they, they destroy the, uh, the, the, uh, the seeing and uh, it's like it is very uh, well it's not pleasant looking through a, a mushy telescope and just like yeah I have to wait you know all, uh, just short, short of an hour to uh, get a good view and so maybe that's not the, the 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 great scope and it's like well if it's minus 20 and I really want to get my observing in um, the grab and go it, it's it cools down in 10 minutes and you're getting nice sharp images um low power no problem uh, so all right let's let's stop here let's go alistair what very clearly what was your first scope and then what was your first second scope <laughs> what that happened to me no um, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, my my first scope was uh, yeah, a friend of the family uh, knew uh, had heard I was getting into stargazing, so they had uh, a fifty millimeter Sears, you know, uh, white. Uh, uh, I I think it wasn't uh, uh, plastic lenses, <laughs> but it was awful. <laughs> and then uh, my first real scope was uh, the uh, classic uh, forty, uh, sorry, four and a half inch. 100 millimeter uh, Newtonian on a uh, metal German equatorial, mm -hmm. and uh, that uh, that 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 became my my workhorse, and I turned it into a dog to make it easier to use. But that was uh, decades later, and and that first time, um, I'll just jol jolt into a little story here. Um, the um, I, I was observing with with my mentor, and and um, at one point he sort of you know said, "Alistair, what are you doing?" And and you know it's just like I was new at all this. It's like ah, what what? Uh, and it's the view of the telescope of the that classic small scope on an equatorial you know point where it's pointing to Polaris. Well, I just thought that's how the telescope normally works. So. Um, I would uh, unclamp the azimuth and spin the the whole mount around to uh, to where my uh, object was, and then I'd unclamp the altitude uh, part of the equatorial and just heave the whole scope up, reclamp the altitude, and then use the twiddle knobs. He goes, uh, "Let me show you how it's done." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then poof. Away, away you go. Uh, and, and that's what the great thing about having a mentor as well is, is you, you find out how to properly use uh, that telescope. So what would you say your main scope is now and, and what's your secondary scope? Oh, boy. Um, I, I'd actually say the, the, the four inch on the dog. I'm using more often than uh, the, than my 12 and a half. Okay. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know that's the way my life has has evolved at the moment. I, I'm uh, uh, helping uh, uh, Berta at one point uh, going out to a dark site. So uh, yeah, the twelve and a half is not coming with me. And so oh, well, mm -hmm. the four is. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. 
And and then I, I set up a small um, sky tracker with uh, a wide field lens, set that up, put it off to the side, let it churn away, taking shots in the nice night sky. And then I, then I go observing um, uh, sort of wide field uh, objects that, that I've somehow missed earlier in, in, in my observing. All right, let's, let's hop over to Shane. Shane, current main scope and secondary instrument. Current main would be the uh, 102 millimeter TAC TSA. Um, main secondary. It's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would probably throw my H alpha telescope into that potentially because it gets a ton of use. Um, but if we're strictly talking about nighttime, I don't know, it's a toss up between my little Borg 71 or my little TAC 76. Uh, either one of those are just great grab and goes, you know, on the tripod, one hand is no problem. Um, they're very small, so they pack well for travel. Um, so that, that's probably where I'm at. How about you, Chris? I always think of my Borg 125 SD as, as the main scope. However, the telescope that has probably, well, definitely has gotten the most use over the past three years has been the uh, Takahashi 60 millimeter because it is so small, portable, and gives such spectacular views for such a small instrument. You know, it always gets back to, you don't really need a large scope to see most of that which we want to see, particularly interesting planetary lunar events like the Mars occultation when it was like a million degrees below zero. And I could just put it all together, walk outside, drop it on the sidewalk, go back in, get warm, go back outside, witness the first part of the event, go back in, get, you know, that, that 60 millimeter talk just, just gets so much use. And I think this goes to show um, people listening. Uh, the, the third point in Alistair's notes here is the grab and go capability. Do you want to talk a little bit more about grab and go, Alistair? It, it's, uh, I, I don't know how much more I can really say. I mean, it's other than, than it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, wonderful for uh, exactly what you're talking about. Uh, sometimes as well, the, the kind of night is maybe it's just too turbulent for high power. You've had a, a cold front sweep through the jet stream aloft is just screaming along and, uh, or, as sometimes happens in the prairies, the aurora kicks up. And yeah. Like, oh my god! Uh, and and so having the grab and go, and and I'll always bring two telescopes uh, with me or two instruments uh, when I go observing, just in case the the the, the main uh, event just doesn't turn out well. Uh, so uh, you know, some of those um, the, the 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 grab and go allows me to just like oh. I'll just reach into the car and, and pull this out. Uh, the other thing where it fold the grab and go folds in is that uh, maybe your own situation, uh, you, you know, work is very intense. It leaves you physically or mentally tired. And so perhaps you just want to uh, just lie back on a deck chair in the backyard, explore with binoculars. There's your, your classic uh, grab and go. Uh, or get a con constellation scale monocular uh, with a filter and, and um, just lie back and, and, and relax that way. Um, and, and it's you know, completely different from that, uh, uh, a, a having a backyard uh, observatory. Uh, I know someone who's you know, got their uh, set up, uh, they've got a you know, nine and a quarter inch uh, Celestron and they're doing exoplanet monitoring. 
with mm-hmm. it, but they're not observing. So they have another sort of grab and go scope, which they uh, uh, put uh, just a couple of meters away and, and look through that while their main uh, scope is uh, is focusing on literally on, on exoplanets. So um and and then sometimes it's just your uh, your own interest. It's like, do I want to see something splashy? The, the you know, chasing down those uh, faint Herschel galaxies has kind of got me tired. So I want to try some of those colander clusters, Chris, that you, that you talk about. Or maybe, hey, there's a double shadow transit on Jupiter. Let let's set up the planetary telescope. Uh, so. Um, you know that that's uh, you know really uh, a, a neat thing there. Uh, a, another point um, that's sort of better than an eyepiece for me was finding out uh, about night myopia, where when your vision you might have twenty twenty vision during the day, but at night with your your pupils dilate, you can actually become a little myopic. And so uh, it was pointed out, um, maybe Rick Kuziak has talked to you guys uh, about it. And I first learned about night myopia at the Summer Saskatchewan Star Party. And they had these little flippers that had slight uh, um, corrections, uh, little diopter corrections. And uh, all of a sudden it's um, it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's way sharper. And then, you know, is, is that five stars in the Pleiades? No, there, there's 10 easy. And, and I'm not even trying now. <laughs> Just like, where did all those stars come from? And so I went and um, with those uh, little flippers, got uh, a set of uh, night uh, glasses uh, for meteor observing and stuff. And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, I can actually see those stars without straining. Um, but, uh, you know, Shane, uh, you know, your thing is, uh, you know, bino viewing. And so, you know, why doesn't a dog um, make for a good match for bino viewing? Well, Typically with the daub, unless you're going to cut the tube or or the truss poles, you're for sure going to have to use a barlow of some kind or a optical corrector, uh, which increases the magnification. Um, so that's one reason that they're maybe a little more challenging with the daub. Um, but that's probably about it. Uh, there are a lot of daub users that uh, also uh, attach a bino viewer. So it's uh, it's certainly something that can be done. Um, you know, at some point I may get back to owning a daub. Um, you know, I do miss the aperture. Uh, you know, there's, there's some nights when you're out there and you just, you want more, but, um, you know, I do love the, you know, the, the, the convenience factor of the refractors, you know, the grab and go comments that you had earlier, Alistair really resonate with me a lot. And that's, you know, as I went through my journey of buying and using different telescopes, um, what really, uh, rose to my, you know, number one priority is like ease. Um, and back to Terrence Dickinson, your the best scope is the one you use the most. Well, the ones I use the most are the ones that have the least amount of friction to getting outdoors. And, uh, that's just why I like my little refractors. Um, but perhaps one day I'll get back to, to a daub and maybe uh final view with that. Yeah, and and then follow in uh, Jerry Oltian's footsteps and get a a, a double daub. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I would love to look through one of those. And, and so it's just like, okay, that that's one of those you know forever scopes. Uh, yep. Tying it back into there, where it's just like, okay, that's sort of you know eyes uh, on the distance, and and okay, maybe that's where I'm gonna 
I do things. Uh, and quick setup, the grab and go. Oddly enough, you can put a 12-inch Schmidt cast into uh, um, grab and go, at least um, if it's on a, a set already set up in the garage on a dolly that has three mm. long arms uh, to uh, support the legs. And you can just wheel the whole thing out, fully assembled, out onto the garage pad drop in the, the screws to uh, get it onto uh, the ground. And, you know, in five minutes, you're, uh, you're, you're observing. So, uh, you know, a big scope can be that kind of quick go uh, uh, for that. Uh, or set up a backyard observatory. Maybe 50 nights at Bortle 5 is better than three nights at Bortle 2. Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, really hard to say. And, and of course, other things in life that uh, happen is it's, uh, you know, you're downsizing, you're moving from a house to a, a condo or apartment, or maybe your, you know, arthritis has flared up. And so it's just like, I just can't lift this big scope anymore. So as your reality shifts, it's the, oh, uh, I want to do something uh, that, that I can do. One of our uh, members, he did uh, um, uh, uh we call the lazy boy as in referring to the uh, big uh, uh, comfy chair that has uh, the, the, the foot rests and all that. And uh, he uh, got himself a, a subscription to one of these remote telescopes. So he was actually um, uh, doing imaging from his couch. Uh, and, and it's just like, yeah, he just couldn't go out anymore, but he was just full on, um, doing that uh, uh, astronomy from his couch. And that, that was just absolutely uh, uh, perfect. Um, and and uh, just I want to uh, circle back briefly to that uh, Maxitov. I am just dying to uh, see how that thing works on uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Got to wait <laughs> uh, late, late into the uh, nights. So the upcoming star parties are going to be perfect for that. Uh, I was just so taken with uh, the images uh, um, things like the, the, uh, um, the, the, the Mac is F15. So you think, oh, narrow field. Da, da, da. Well, as long as you're going above, um, you know, 80 power, even on a, you know, the made in Schmidt cast, well, you're really no different than low power on, uh, on the Maxitov, uh, uh, for me, which was, was, it was a hundred power. Um, I could still just get the moon, uh, in the field of view. Uh, but, uh, the, the double stars, um, the, the, uh, the, especially things like the double double where, where you can, there's the you know, huge gaps between, um, each component and at one point I, I sort of got a little silly and went up to you know 450 power and uh the the one of the two components of the double double was always out of the field of view <laughs> it's just so ridiculously high power but uh it was that and uh, one of the other uh, double stars Isar uh, in Bootes um you know you've got this um brilliant uh orange uh, primary with uh, uh, diffraction rings and sitting off to the side, this uh, blue chip with it itself having a blue diffraction ring and just like, oh, ho, 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 this is going to just be fantastic on the planet. So I'm really looking forward to uh, um, trying that. But 
it's this is one of those scopes that uh, you know it will take 30 minutes to cool down all right so we've got uh one more topic to cover but anything to add any final words on this owning multiple telescopes before we get on to the prize giveaway no that's that's about it anything for you to add shane before we dive into this a little bit no, this has been uh, very interesting. And, you know, it's it's still sort of funny to me that after 350 episodes, we're still covering topics that I'm thinking, why didn't we talk about something like this 320 episodes ago? <laughs> I often this ask is, myself that question. <laughs> this, this is really like, this is really good advice. And, and I think sometimes, Chris, uh, you know, we maybe overlook some of those experiences for somebody new to the hobby. And, and these kinds of discussions really, I think, help you know, maybe provide a little guidance or insight as to how people can get going. Yeah. And as I've been helping people, um, it's the, oh, I've forgotten. I used to be like that and didn't really know much and and learned along the way. I've forgotten what it's like to be a beginner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So thank you, Alistair. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. We have a Telescope to give away, Alistair. Do you want to? Do you want to sort of uh, preload this? Then we're going to have to figure out a way to give this away, Shane. So go mm -hmm. ahead, Alistair. Okay. So uh, what um, this is is a. Uh, it, it turned out a uh, long time ago. I, I had. Um, uh, I was working with uh, Daystar on one of their uh, solar filters. Working with, in, in the sense of, I had to do some back and forth. And and I I mentioned, I was new to solar observing, so I'm not sure if the filter is working properly. And they said, uh, "Oh, you're deep sky observer. You should try this new UHC filter we've made." And so I um, I did. I, it's uh, not quite a 48 millimeter uh, uh, filter, but this was one of the first. A high contrast nebula filters uh, when it came out. And I noticed with the threading, uh, it was set up for dropping in a two inch eyepiece, but I noticed the threading was very close it was to uh, like the T threads is very close to the Pentax threaded lenses. And so I just sort of did that, that, uh, you know, one and a half turns of the threads. So I didn't scar the threads permanently. And so I had a two inch full eyepiece with this UHC filter and a 50 millimeter camera lens. Mm. And it's like 1.6 power with a 22 millimeter exit pupil, <laughs> a little bit bigger than uh, my eyes open up, but it's like, but who cares? You can almost look through that with two eyes. <laughs> almost. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I took it to Stellafane and, um, it was one of those things. Just lie down on the on the brick wall and and point it uh, right up into Cygnus, and you know, there's the North America Nebula, and just like oh, the big uh, IC thirteen ninety six that uh, the where the Elephant Trunk Nebula is in the middle. Just like you can see that, and so I said, no, you can't. And just like here, have a look, and so it, it's. It's literally you know, a camera lens with uh, a 3D printed adapter that, that will hold uh, an eyepiece at the end and you thread your own nebula filter in and away you go. And so it's just like, oh, I wonder what else you can see with this thing. So then it's like, ah, Helix Nebula, that, that's a nice big object. It's like, oh yeah, poof, at 1.6 power, 
no problem uh, in a dark sky. And so um, I, I kind of put that off to the side for, for decades now. And it's just always sort of sitting there in my eyepiece box. And um, But but this uh, whole thing of cleaning up basements and coming across things. So um, on, on um, you know, a dusty shelf in uh, in Mike's basement is is this, uh, uh, you know, 1960s uh, um, Cameron uh, zoom lens from you know, 35 to 80 millimeters. And so I've added the, the 3D uh, adapter to it. And, uh, and, and so poof, here you go. You can even have a little bit of a, a, a zoom thing. And, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to trying mine on some of those uh, huge nebulas that, uh, Chris, that you've highlighted. Uh, things like the one at the head of uh, Orion, where there's this big five-degree glow. Just like, yeah, oh. the Lambda Lambda Orionis Nebula. I never thought about looking for that. So, yeah, yeah, really uh, wanting to uh, uh, try that out. And and even without a, a nebula filter, it's just that thing where, you know, the beehive just like, you know, tough with the naked eye, but, uh, you know, one and a half or two power, bam. <laughs> Uh, and, and of course, you can get uh, like the Esfabonis uh, have these uh, you know, sort of opera glasses, um, but uh, you know those are more than a hundred dollars. And this thing is well, it's a, an old camera lens which I'll never use again in my life, and uh, you know two dollars worth of three uh, D printing. And hey, I've got a mini telescope. That's awesome. So, so people have to supply their own eyepiece and filter. Yes, but but this is uh, this is like the world's smallest, most cobbled together looking telescope. But it's technically still a telescope, people. So we are giving away technically a telescope that's a cobbled together adapter with a old camera lens on it. So let's see. So you said uh, we're going to give it away to a Patreon supporter, Alistair. I think is how we're setting this up. So, so I stick my hand in the virtual hat and pull out a name. <laughs> yeah. So what we'll have to do is we'll have to figure out a way to, to do that. And we should give people a few weeks because, well, anyway, it'll probably end up being more than a month um, of our time because we'll have to give people the opportunity. If somebody that was on the fence about becoming a Patreon supporter, maybe, maybe they would. So we'll at least let this episode air um, for one week. And then, uh, and then after that time, we'll, we'll do the draw. So if people are, are listening to it, uh, in real time, then, uh, we'll give them, uh, maybe we'll say, uh, 10, 10 days after the podcast drops, and then we'll randomly, uh, select a listener and announce it on a future show. How does that sound? Uh it's perfect. And there's a little, but wait, there's more. I have <laughs> two other. Welcome back, Steve. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I have uh, uh, two other lenses like that. So oh. that will be one of three. So Oh, okay. Well, that's very generous of you. Thank yeah. you very much. That's I guess amazing. what people can enter multiple times. Somebody might be able to make a binocular. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Oh, but start. they're different camera lenses. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> take me a little time over summer to uh, 3D print up the adapters and stuff. Okay. Like all right, cool. cool. All right. Does that sound good to you, Shane? I'm just sort of, oh, we're yeah. just sort of doing this on the fly here. Yeah. Thanks, Alistair. This is, uh, this is really neat. Like this sounds uh, similar to those constellation binoculars, as you referenced. It's just, this is kind of a tiny telescope. So probably a little more flexibility uh, with the ability to use filters and different eyepieces. So seems, uh, seems very neat. 
an extremely grab to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, uh, unless any of you have anything to add, I'll read our concluding remarks. Dear listeners, please subscribe and do us the favor. Share the show with other stargazers you know. You can send us your show ideas, observations, or questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. If you want to enter to win, I don't know if win is maybe the right word, but we are giving away three mini monocular telescope type things that take two inch eyepieces and two inch filters for enjoying superb wide field wonders of the night sky. And all you have to do is you can become a Patreon supporter for any amount. And we will uh, put your name in the draw 10 days after we uh, air this podcast. So thank you for listening. Yeah. So some of them have the one and a quarter adapters. Oh, okay. Fair, fair. It's free. All right. Fair yep. enough. Good stuff. It's free. No complaining. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Alistair. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.